Hi, everyone, and welcome again to my podcast, Gaudium at Space 22, uh, as also my blog. This will be on YouTube as well as on my new podcast, which is on Spotify, Apple, uh, Amazon Music, and so on. My guest today is a repeat guest, the one, the only, Kale Zeldin, one of my oh, favorite, uh, favorite interlocutors. He needs an introduction. A teacher extraordinaire, a uh, very classical teacher and a classy guy. He also does a podcast with Rod Dreher, uh, which is the general eclectic. And yes. I'm really upset because uh, I uh, have never met Rod Dreher. And it yeah. turns out Rod was in Rome uh, for the funeral of Pope Benedict, as was I. And so I yeah. missed an opportunity to sort of link up with Rod. But anyway. You know, uh, I, I must admit, Larry, that there was a point when, you know, he told me that he was going and I knew that you were going. I'd seen that, that you you said something on Facebook about it. Yeah. And I and I'm pretty sure I grabbed for my phone and was like, you know, Rod, you need to hook up with Larry. And I'm pretty sure I got distracted and, you know, whatever. Well, fed the chickens, whatever it is I have to do. So Yeah, that I distraction well, that was divine providence. We probably were not meant to meet up this time. Maybe you next time. You would have I broken will, Rome, my friend. You would have I'm broken going to Rome. be going back to Rome probably on a more regular basis to do reporting right. for the various uh, avenues that I'm uh, blogging. Right. You meant you have chickens, right? I do. We have chicken. ten chickens. Yeah. So do we. So yeah. I'm. I'm. I think we need to have armed guards around our chickens these days, given I mean, the price of eggs. No, I, I know, I know. And and you know, the other day uh, it was actually over the holidays. Um, you know, we have we have ten chickens, and so egg production is like what I'm getting. You know, about a dozen and a half, maybe about eighteen twenty a week, right? Which is pretty darn good. Yeah. Um. And but but you know, in Christmas you bake more, and you sort of use making. Oh yeah. And all that kind of stuff. So I I actually went to the store to get a an additional dozen eggs when I was on my grocery run, and and I, I thought it was a typo, Larry. I, I was like, wait, what? Like, like yeah. a, more than a buck a pea or about a buck a piece. Well, not, not quite. It's like 75 cents a piece, which is crazy. Yeah. There. I mean, I was at the store. It was like $7 a dozen or something. Yeah, and that's right. We have, that's right. We have, we have 15 chickens. So we get about 12 eggs a day. So we get like a, so we are in a position to actually give a lot of eggs away to our yeah. friends uh, who it used to be just kind of fun. Hey, here's some farm fresh eggs. But now it's or, like, hey, can, now yeah. it's like a dour necessity. Guard these things with your life. Do, do you uh, have you know, the stuff? Do you do you have the stuff, Larry? You got the goods. <laughs> hey, but, but, the but goods. on a serious note, and before we get into the topic of the day, which of course yep. is all the news swirling around the Catholic Church right now, this yep. thing about the eggs with the chickens, I I mean, I, it's it's made me uh, a little more sympathetic towards all the conspiracy theory nuts that are out there. Yeah. You know, this blaming, I don't know, bird flu and the execution of millions of chickens and mm -hmm. supply chain problems and so on. You know, it, it's it, it seems like they're blaming COVID and supply chain and whatever for just about everything these days. And it's starting to get a little a little suspicious as it say. is, as 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 my kids, my own children and my students would say, it's a bit sus, Dr. Chap. It's a bit sus. It's a bit and, sus. And yeah, but but I think it's right. I mean, you know, I, I I resist those kinds of things. I try my best to sort of set up some mental models that um, don't allow me to sort of fall down, sort of conspiracy theories and such. But but boy, you're right. It's sort of it's like 
eyebrow fully raised my friend eyebrow fully raised something's up something. yeah you know my dear my wife hit a deer with our car our deer hit her it's more likely to spare her the embarrassment here and th- we had to take it in to get it fixed yeah. and it took forever because well we have supply chain issues from jeep and their factories right. and where shimmy shang yeah. wherever yeah, yeah, you know it's yeah. like it, apparently nobody makes anything anymore for anybody and it's all yeah. supply yeah. chained up or whatever but anyway and another note to my uh, viewers and listeners, I did pick up uh, a bronchial infection of some kind while in Rome. Uh, and so if I start hacking and coughing uncontrollably, but I, I wanted the, the news is hot right now. So I wanted to get kale on the show today. So if I have to cough and hack just a bit, uh, you'll just have to put up with that. And my voice is a little weak, perhaps. But anyway, let's get right to it. OK, so I yep. went to I went to Rome for the funeral of Pope Benedict and the interest. And let's I'm going to start with the funeral. Yeah, uh, the interesting thing is this. I'm sitting there. I'm standing there. It's cold. It's at the time of the funeral. It was only about 45 degrees. It was foggy. It was misty. It's, it's cloudy. It gets damp in Rome. It, it, oh, it was 40, damp. 45, I, 45 in Rome is is not comfortable. I know. Yeah. Right. And it was 745 in the morning and I was already locked out of the main area of the funeral. I thought that I'd be able to get in to get a yeah. seat, but yeah. they were already full. So I'm just standing behind the barricades there at St. Peter's with my uh, iPhone camera on super zoom <laughs> to, to catch a, a yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, like every other tourist that was there. Um, yeah. but I have to admit, okay. So the funeral starts and about halfway in. Yeah, there you go. About halfway in, I start getting all these text messages from my friends oh. back in the States. Right. Oh, this, oh. this, this is a travesty. This mm. funeral is a disgusting, horrible mess. How dare they treat Benedict this way? And 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 I'm standing there thinking, um, well, the funeral is going by rather quickly. I have to admit, it's a very simple mass. I mean, we're 45 minutes in and normally in a papal funeral mass, you're just finishing the Gloria. <laughs> right, 40, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. 45 yeah. minutes. I mean, it's a whole Cirque du Soleil, Cecil B. Yeah. DeMille production that goes on for 70 hours <laughs> and then everyone's mm-hmm. exhausted and glad when it's done. But mm-hmm. this literally this funeral mass only lasted barely an hour and a half, which is just sort of unheard of in the annals of of papal funerals, even well, with you know, Go well, ahead. The word so, that, the, no, no. So the word that pops into my head as you're as you're describing what you experience is perfunctory. It seems yes. per, perfunctory. I used that very word. Oh, somewhere, did you? Oh, uh, right, in, yeah. one, in one of my various articles for various publications. Yeah, I think I used it seemed rushed and perfunctory. Hmm. Uh, well, and, and, but others who were texting me and I don't want to name names unless I embarrass them, embarrass them. Uh, but one is a you know a priest, another one's a pretty well known author, and so on. And a, this is a travesty. And and the thing that struck me, maybe just maybe, uh, the experience of being there at the funeral was different from watching it on TV, because I thought there, given the the sort of atmospherics of the of the fog and everything, yeah, uh, and and the Vatican choir, which was beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, and the crowd, which was very somber and reverent. I, I got a sense, as George Weigel said to me after the, after the liturgy over lunch, George said, you know, there was a noble simplicity to it. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of how I felt at the funeral. This is what Benedict kind of probably wanted, a noble simplicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet that that somberness, that noble simplicity, I don't think came across over television to all of my uh, friends back in the States. 
Um, well, you know, I think it's complicated by a couple of factors here. And so go I'm going to do my best because this is not what I typically do, but I'm going to steal man a little bit. Um, sort of the, 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 that, that bit it's, it's, it's sort of a sort of restrained and simple and yeah. As, yeah. As, what, what did Weigel call it again? You just said noble simplicity, no, noble simplicity. All right. So on that score, like, you know, after all, I mean, let's, let's, let's remember that he was the Pope Emeritus, right? He was not the, the standing Pope or the sitting Pope or what have you, or the lying Pope, I guess. Um, That's right. So, so, you know, so I, I, I understand why it might be different than a typical papal, uh, death slash working our way into the funeral and into the burial, right? You know, where, you know, if, if yeah. those of us who recall um, when when Benedict presided over John Paul II's death and funeral and, and burial, uh, you know, that was a sort of an extraordinary event. I mean, we hadn't seen it in, what, 28 years, something like yeah. that, right? Yeah. That's how long yeah. John Paul II's papacy was. And he died in office uh, as uh, had been the case for the prior 600 years or whatever, right? So there's yes. not really a script per se as how to bury a Pope Emeritus. So I, I want to be somewhat fair to that, you know, that the bell, but, you know, maybe the decision for the bells not to be ringing, you know, on a, on a, you know throughout. Was, yeah. You know, uh, there were several know, so, things. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. So anyway, along those lines. So I so I understand why there might be some differences. I think what 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 struck me as I sort of watched and read and all that is the, you know, maybe it's this, Larry. Maybe if you have nothing nice to say, maybe it's better not to say it at all. <laughs> and that's kind of what I thought too. I was actually quoted in the New York Times. Don't it's a oh, long story oh, how they the, oh. the reporter got a hold of me. I made it the big time baby. I'm in the love Times, Look the at paper me. of record. So I they were the, it was a nice female reporter who's usually very fair, I find. Uh yep. and so I'm told. And when I read her stuff, I haven't been interviewed by her before. But anyway, mm. she said, What did you think of the funeral homily by Pope Benedict? Yeah. Yeah. And I did say it seems to me sort of damning by faint praise, a kind yeah. of slap at the Pope, because the homily read like and I, this is was actually quoted at the time. I said it read like Pope Francis went to his file cabinet, looked up the file for funeral homilies, pulled out the most generic one he could find and then scribbled Pope Benedict's name at the end, at the very end, at the, at very, the very end. end. Like, oh, yeah, this is about Pope Benedict. And I stand by that assessment. I thought yeah. that the, the funeral homily was atrocious. It could have been it could have been offered for now it's been later pointed out to me i think it was george weigel pointed out to me that actually large sections of the homily were actually quotes from pope benedict that pope francis sim didn't simply say hey quoting pope benedict quoting pope benedict but it was liberally laced with with sort of benedict type language yeah. uh and so that kind of softened it a little bit for me george yeah, yeah. sort of talked me off the cliff because right after the mass i was i was fuming and he ran into me at, P at borgo pio having yeah. <laughs> having some antipasto and yeah. and he says just calm yourself calm yourself but i still think it was a bit of a slap i i you know and and i and talking to people other than george i mean there were some noteworthy people whose names I don't have permission to use, but names you would recognize mm -hmm. who also felt that the funeral homily was a travesty. But there's a few other things, too, if you don't mind me digressing. No, do it, do it. Um, one of the things that I, I've been told, for example, is that Vatican employees were not given the day off. Mm 
yeah, yeah. They were simply yeah. told yeah. they could go to the funeral, but they had to come right back to work. The Vatican sent representatives out to all the businesses on the Via della Conciliazione and, and surrounding areas. Yep. Yeah, of course. Told stay, them, open. Stay, open. stay open. Stay open. Stay open. Do not close. Various national delegations were told don't send anybody. And when they showed up anyway, they were told do not wear your formal diplomatic garb. Wow. And and were treated rather shabbily, quite, quite honestly. So. Then there was also a, a story of how uh, Pope Benedict's body, which was laid in state in St. Peter's, was mm -hmm. originally going to be left unattended overnight, simply wow. in the dark. But certain Swiss guards refused to leave the side wow. of the Pope to the to their yeah. credit, uh, wow. much to the consternation of various uh, people. But uh, anyway, so there, there were just a lot of little signs like this that were. I, I get what you said. You, you, I know you were steel manning and not necessarily agreeing with everything you said. Uh, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, OK, we can spin it one way as we don't know how to do a Pope emeritus. Right. On the other hand, there were some real signs of of the Pope, to use another word from kids these days, dissed. He was dissed. Yeah. They were dissing yeah. him. You, you yeah. really, I think, got a sense of a Pope being dissed. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I, you know, and, and it was those stories that you just referenced of, you know, the so the way that they handled sort of business at the Vatican on that day, you know, being back back in the saddle by noon, you know, and, you know, and it's not exactly like Rome is renowned for its like, you know, hearty industriousness. I mean, as you and I both know, who spent time in Rome, it's like any That's right. excuse. Any excuse That's you right. have to sort of like take the rest of the day off. I mean, are you kidding me? You're out I mean, of there, on. baby. Yeah, Larry. So, well, I mean, that was that like... famous quote from John the 23rd when someone asked John the 23rd, Holy Father, how many people work in the Vatican? He said about half of them. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> about half of them, half the time, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so it is interesting to me. Uh, to me, it, it, it points to um, what, you know, people have said. So this is certainly nothing, you know you know, breathtakingly new from Kale here, but um, just petty, just petty and small and a bit mean. Uh, to me, that's the, the, you know, to me, as I was thinking about coming on today, you know, that's to me what is, is sort of, is for me the takeaway in the last several months when I think about the, the, the people who run our church, you know, petty, yes, yes. small, mean. Okay. Well, I'm going to take the gloves off and I'm going to say let's this. Do it. I think Pope Francis is a mean, petty and vindictive man. Yeah, uh, I, I've thought that now for many, many years. I think he holds grudges. I think he has an enemies list. I think he doesn't forget his enemies quickly. Uh, and and I think he's very vindictive about it. Yeah. And quite frankly, I, I think the funeral was an exercise in that kind of pettiness. I don't think it was anger or hostility, but a kind of pettiness yeah. of, of, well, you know what? This this man's been a pain in my butt for 10 years. And uh, I have to be here for this stupid funeral mass. But let's just get this over with. And I'm out of here. I'm told that he even had to be, in a sense, convinced at the end to even go and greet the coffin of Benedict. As, that's oh, right. that's another thing. When that's Benedict's right. coffin was transported yeah. from where he was staying to the Vatican, they put it in a gray, undescript van yeah. and yeah. drove it over instead yeah. of the normal procession of cardinals right. and, you know, in a, in a right. dignified, not even in a hearse. It was right. in a cargo van. Right. That just pulls up in the, you know, the dead of morning and hauls him in. And so, yeah. uh, but anyway, uh, so well, yeah, and, and, vindictive and, and petty. Yeah. And what strikes me, you know, Larry, you know, I, I don't, I don't get the sense that you're this way. And I know I'm not this way. Like I'm not like one of these sort of obsessives about no. 
rubrics and forms. Like I really am not that guy. I'm not. <laughs> I I'm sure not a guy, I'm not. I'm not a guy who like measures the amount of lace that a priest is wearing or any yeah. of those kind of things. But I mean, we, you and I both would also though admit and and are are at least respectful of ceremony and like what ceremony is meant for, right? You know, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, in that and that and that goes to to ceremony that goes to building that goes to space. It's like, do you need St. Peter's? You know, it's like there's something about honoring, you know, that the ceremony is the sort of the honoring of the genius of the thing. Right. Yes. And, yes. And and to treat it so casually, you know, to treat it no differently than, you know, you know, you and I, you know, uh, you know, one of our farm animals kicks the bucket and, you know, you sort of put it off to the side there for a little bit. You go in, you grab a sandwich and, you know, maybe listen to a podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you come back yeah. out and you begrudgingly dig a hole and hopefully it's, you know, deep enough and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you sort of do it. If I, you know, th there's nothing ceremonious about that. Right. I'm just sort of perfunctorily doing my job to treat a a a a, a giant of of oh, the yeah. faith right and 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 I and I do mean that and I really appreciate you know the show you did yesterday with the the Irish um priest who studied under Benedict Father Toomey Vincent Father Toomey. Toomey that's it yeah and I really appreciate that and just to kind of get a sense of the man right and and you know, not only was he a giant intellectually and and ecclesially, but just he sounded like a, the real deal. He sounded just like a real person, and and to sort of to have this ignominious, petty, yeah, suspicion at the end, it kind of says it all. Like in other words, like that's exactly how everything has kind of gone in our lifetime. Oh, absolutely. And uh, did you read it all? Christopher Altieri posted this on oh, Facebook. Dude, that, that, that brother's been on fire lately. He's been on way. fire, but to, and his stuff has been great. Uh, yeah. But today, because that, because that, that's the Rupnik stuff, and we can get into that later on. Ooh, we're going to get into I wanna, that soon because I want to talk about the Jesuits in a little bit. But yeah, we're going to we're we're, we're going to move away from funeral very quickly. Yeah. But I want to end by saying, Chris posted today on Facebook an article by the Italian journalist. Uh, it sounds like a female name to Americans, but it's a male name. Andrea, uh, I can't, I can never pronounce his last name, Ger Gerducci or Gerolucci or something okay. like that. All up. right. So it's, uh, yeah, I can look it up. Go to Chris Altieri's Facebook page. I'm sure it's there or mine. He tagged me in it. Yeah. So uh, what, what Andrea says, I won't pr try to pronounce his last name again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, fine. I, what, what he says in there is that Pope and he points this out and I think it's very, very interesting He goes, Pope Francis is, is not so much a man of ideas as he is a man who understands gestures. Yes, okay, he is a man of symbols and gestures, and therefore it could not have been lost on him. What sorts of gestures need to be made at a papal funeral? And I don't care. And Andrea says it doesn't matter if at one point Benedict was Pope Emeritus in death. He is Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, right. a deceased right. pope. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. and there are certain gestures that ought to be in any papal funeral, and the yeah. fact of the matter is, many of those gestures were simply not there. And yeah. according to Andrea, that's deliberate, and it was deliberate. Okay. So I really, I'm going to throw it out there to my listeners. That's my impression. I tend to agree mm -hmm. with that. Others, like George Weigel and a few others, are saying, "No, no, no. Let's let's not." Let's not get too hysterical here. Um, this well, wasn't... well I've, I've, I've got nothing to protect because I don't have any. I don't have any position. I don't have yeah. any. Any. Yeah. I don't have any yeah. access. I mean, you're it. Like, yeah, I know Larry. 
Um, and, yeah. and I'm just going to go out there and say that I am feeling better today than I have as a Catholic in a really long time. And, and this is connected. So, so bear with me here for a second. Yeah. But um, I, like you, was shocked to find out about Cardinal Pell's death, uh, which I think happened yeah. what two a day and a half ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe even yesterday. My my time has gotten crunched. No, no, so. it was. Uh, well, wait a minute. Maybe it was yesterday. I was actually on the phone with Tom Warner of the National Catholic Register. Wow. Wow. talking talking about you know something i'm supposed to do for them right for them and he says oh yeah. i gotta go just found out cardinal pell died and i just about right. fell out of my chair so i yeah. think it was yesterday morning actually yeah yeah so at any rate you know um this all kind of happens and and i tell you what uh so i was upset of course to hear about cardinal pell's um passing and he was you know he's 81 but still in my world too young too young um and uh, I uh, have a certain amount of admiration for Pell, especially what he suffered with uh, being wrongfully accused of, of what he was accused of in Australia. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, but um, I, I like him. I, I like him. I, and I, I think yeah, he's I did too. doing his best. Right. And, and there's certainly scars on all the leadership uh, uh, class in the last, you know, a generation or two. So I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not here to sort of also say that can, he's perfect can, in every way. Well, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Because I think the question I'm going to ask you is pertinent to, uh, our opinion of Cardinal Pell. Were you yeah. always going back maybe a couple decades, always yeah. a fan of Cardinal Pell? Because I can tell you, I mean, early on, I wasn't, I wasn't always a fan of his. I thought that he was a bit too much of a stuffy status quo institutional neocon kind of yeah yeah prelate. no that 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 certainly was my opinion of him but the overton window has been shifted so yes. far and so yes. quickly and so radically yes. that all of a sudden you know like well i i like pell <laughs> pell's good i went the same path same path yeah. so go yeah. ahead yeah go ahead yeah. and so um and you know look as, as anybody who's paid attention to anything i've written or tweeted or talked about on all the various podcasts that i jump on from time to time knows that i spend zero time sticking up for the church hierarchy none I, they don't right. need me to stick up for them because they need to answer their own business. So that's who I am, right? But today, I feel as good about being a Roman Catholic as I felt in probably two years. Um, I still have little asterisks next to that. But the reason why I'm so um, calm about being a Roman Catholic and saying it out loud and coming on your podcast and saying this is that finally, someone high up, puts his name on a piece and calls balls and strikes. Now, shockingly, as we find out, Pell pens this piece not 48 hours before he passes away. Right. But in that piece that he published in The Spectator, he goes right at it. He goes right at this dumpster fire of a, of a papacy. He goes right at the synod on synodality and he calls it for what it is and he put his name on it. And I'm sitting here as a, as a layman, Larry, yeah. thank God someone who's powerful and in the know has the stones to stand up and just finally call the ball ball and a strike a strike. Am, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Kale, but didn't he even say that this papacy has been a catastrophe for the catastrophe? Church? Yes, straight up. And of course, so now I'm like, all of a sudden, well, hey, he can say it, I yeah. can say it. 
He yeah, that's say, right. So all you all you tone police who are going to come after me and like, oh, you don't, understand <laughs> you don't understand the Francis pontificate and like this is all crazy and you're just being oh yeah, like American. Mike Lewis at where Peter is and that whole uh, where I, Peter I, is. I don't want to call names out because right. you know, I, you know well, me, me and Mike I'll have call them out because Mike no, Lewis me and Mike calls have ever... been friendly. Me and Mike have been friendly on on DMs, but no, I certainly have my public disagreements and my private disagreements with Mike Lewis on this. But but honestly, all that kind of tone policing that Mike and and his confreres engage in for people like you and me and you know who are like That's guys right. this doesn't look good this is a problem you know finally i said yeah well you know um pell can say it pell has earned the right to say it and sadly i mean tragically of course not tragically but un unfortunately he died right but that yeah. thing was going to press as far as as far as i understand it that went to press and then just a few days prior to that uh ganschwein's uh piece goes to press yes Yes. And but, and to me, so so why if you want to tell your audience a little, a little bit about that, go ahead. But no, but I just want to I want to do it right I, now. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Why do you feel you understand good? Why I feel good. Well, well I, I do feel good because yeah. someone high up in the church finally called it out. Yeah, exactly. And I felt the same way. I was exhilarated by it because it does, in some sense, then empower those of us too, uh, like myself who have been publicly and in print critical of this papacy. Now, I haven't gone down the Peter Kwasniewski roots of calling no, a pope no. a formal and material heretic, uh, you know, and others in that traditional camp calling him, you know, a, not a real pope. You know, no, he's the real pope. He's not a heretic. He's just a lousy pope. Uh, and we've had clunker popes before, and we have a clunker pope uh, and mm. a particularly bad clunker pope, I think. Mm. And so, yeah, it was energizing it was energizing for some high up cardinal who's been through the ringer of perdition himself right, with false right. imprisonment, who's earned his spurs, who's yeah, gained yeah. the respect of even people like me who at one time thought he was just a, a stodgy, old line, stuffy neocon conservative, right. suddenly taking notice of the quijones on this guy mm -hmm. who had the nerve to stand up and say this papacy is a catastrophe this whole synodal nonsense is a toxic poison in the church for him to say that is just super energizing i yeah. agree and yeah. maybe just maybe in the design of providence it takes on more punch and meaning now with mm -hmm. his death yeah. than had he remained alive you know as some people have said to me uh who know Cardinal Pell and have been working with him over the past few months. You don't understand. We just lost our quarterback because right. this guy has been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes uh, yeah. to really did you see to, to that, to that, to, to, to that, to that point, did you see, I think it was, um, was, it, was it Phil Lawler? No, it was um, someone. Uh, no, it wasn't Phil Lawler. Someone just came out and said that the Demos, uh, the Demos uh, uh, memo that was circulating. Sandra around. Magister. Ma Ma Magister, Magister, yeah. Um, uh, that that was Pell. That was Cardinal Pell. That, that Cardinal Pell was the one who penned the Demos uh, uh, memo. Um, and, you know, I remember when that came out, Larry, I'm sure you did too. And it's like, yes. yep. You know, you go, you go through A through whatever, you know, G or D or however many letters are in that memo. You're like, yep, yep, yep. Yep. I mean, we can go down the list of those things and it is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, now, before I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit, I mean, you know, Francis is still here. The Synod on Synodality has, in fact, been expanded to two years to give it time. Right, Larry, to mature so that we can listen more. Right. But uh, but it uh, but maybe um, people will 
stand up to it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think I think that one of the things about Pell coming forward with this statement and and Gonswine coming forward and saying that Traditionis Custodes actually broke Benedict's heart and yeah. he didn't really understand it. And he probably thought it was an ill advised thing to do. I mean, we we get these little things coming out from very, very high end prelates saying, right. Pope, Pope Francis, what in the heck are you doing? What right. are you up to? What is your end game here? Why haven't the Germans been disciplined? Why hasn't the German Sonoda way simply been shut down? Why is a guy like Holerich? Why is a guy like Holerich going to be the general leader of the synod when he's publicly dissented from just about every major Catholic sexual teaching? Everyone, okay? everyone, everyone. I don't think every, there's a one he doesn't. And then the, and the German Bishop Betzing, who's the head of the German yep. Episcopal Conference. Yep. Same thing. And then the rumors flying around. George Weigel had the article in Catholic World yes. Report about yep. v- Bishop Vilmer potentially taking over from Ladaria at the CDF. And he's and, a and big. Apparently that's that's back on that. Apparently that's back on the burner, Larry. I am told yeah, uh, that beware that even though. Uh, because of George's article and perhaps uh, certain efforts from George Pell, uh, yeah. that that Vilmer appointment was put on hold, uh, that several cardinals were going to go to the Pope and complain uh, that it is still a very possible scenario that this clown will be put in charge of the CDF. And I'm telling you, if he is, then I hope that everybody that is out there, as you call in, in the tone police, shut up because Putting somebody like Vilmer in as head of the CDF is like putting a wolf in the chicken coop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense at all if you care about the church. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the 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 clownishness of that move w- is only offset by the profound evil that it will do. Right. It's like putting, you know, uh, someone who's kosher in charge of, you know, the, you know, the bacon station. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's absurd. It really, truly is absurd, which, you know, an international art thief in charge of security at the right. Louvre. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and, and, you know, the Germans, my gosh, it's always the Germans. And you know, that the certain elements in the church love the kind of, dark symmetry of sticking him in place of the it, we can't call it the cdf anymore right it's the no DD it's not now. it's a dicastery now as was our congregation because reasons um to have a german take over the office from Bet ratzinger and and muller and yeah. others right yeah. and and the sort of and then to sort of demolish it from the inside uh is uh it's pretty dark stuff, Larry. It really is. You know, and it's, it's, it's de- and it's deliberate. Um, it's absolutely deliberate. It, it can't be anything but deliberate. The symbolism that's involved is deliberate. So, and so, so can I ask one, you a question? Go can ahead. I ask you a question then about the sort of the German thing? You know, we we've invoked uh, talking a lot a lot of Germans today. We've got Benedict and and all that, and 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 Gonschwein and and Holerich and Gretsch. Although I think Gretsch is actually Belgium. Anyway, I could be wrong on that. But all the guys, right? All these guys, and we've talked about the German uh, synodal way, and it it's um, a total debacle. It's a total mess, right? Yeah. Um, is the synod on synodality really at the end of the day just the German synodal path? Isn't that what this is, Larry? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, uh, all right. I I think, and and I, I once again, somebody in Rome, 
whose name you would recognize, tell me this, but I don't have permission to share his name. So but what he thinks is this, is that the German Sonola way is being allowed to continue because people in the Vatican are using it as a kind of stalking horse uh, to, in a sense, take the church to a certain to a certain point. And then when the Germans go too far, then the Vatican will intervene, but meet the Germans halfway. So in other words, the Vatican will come across the sea there. We're disciplining the Germans. We're stopping them, say, from ordaining women or whatever. But we're going to grant them X, Y, Z. So that's something that he means by a stalking horse. All right. That you'll follow the Germans so far with your stalking horse. Let them go so far. Stop them and then declare victory. And look what disciplinarians we are. But you've actually moved the needle far left that that's yeah. and, and that's what the, the synod on synods is going to be doing yeah it reminds me of the the sort of the martin bailey um uh plan right where you sort of stake out an extreme version and you know a very extreme position and be like oh no 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 what we really mean is this but mean you know so you've got the mott and then the bailey and you set up the mott but then you pull back to the bailey but the bailey itself right this this compromised position is also already a a uh, a moving of the of the of the thing forward uh, yeah, and, and, I, and yeah, exactly. I agree. And I think personally, as I've written before in various articles, I think the ultimate goal of Pope Francis is a radical change in the church's moral theology. I think that's okay. his ultimate okay. goal is is the revision of moral theology. The Germans are not going to get women priests. Pope Francis is not going to allow women priests. I, I don't even think he's going to allow married priests. Okay, and and he's certainly not going to allow for a complete revisioning of what the sacramental priesthood is, allowing for lay people to sort of consecrate the Eucharist and run parishes. Now, the Germans aren't going to get any of that stupid Protestantizing garbage. What they will get, though, is a softening, I think, on the teachings on contraception, divorce and remarriage, homosexuality, all under the guise of accompaniment and discernment. In other words, this is Pope Francis's M.O., you, you maintain the teaching as an ideal. All right. Well, yes, contraception is wrong. Uh, homosexuality is wrong. Uh, but that's the ideal. And nobody matches the ideal. So in the church's moral pastoral living, we might have to bless a, a, you know, a homosexual union. We might have to allow married couples to contracept because that's Irre- where they irregular, are. Irregular situations. As, as yeah, the, that's where they the, are in the discernment process. And mm-hmm. as we accompany them, and we already see this in Amoris Laetitia. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the groundwork is already there for this moral theological revisionism, which is really old fashioned, what we call proportionalism, but now under the, the new name of accompaniment and discernment. I think personally that is Pope Francis's ultimate goal uh, is a pastoral softening of these moral teachings. So if, if that's the case, um, and I have no no argument against that, it, it sounds it, it passes my sniff test for what it's worth. Right. Yeah. Um, that is not something that can be contained you know no. so while that while that might not be great while, point kale great right, like, point run with right, that right so so while while that might be pope francis's you know don't go beyond point and he might say well the, you know all of this stuff but not beyond this point right 
Yeah. You and I have been around a while. Like we know how this works. And so basically uh, this will unleash, as you say, a kind of a revolution. One could argue that the revolution has already been unleashed and has been on sort of slow-mo teardown, you know, and, 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 and until the speed up that we've, li- we've lived through the last couple of years here. Um, but I don't think that that's a containable spirit. And I use the word spirit kind of on purpose here. Like I actually mean spirit, um, you know, that, that, that while he might have certain bright lines in the sand, I don't think the heterodox um, have that kind of restraint in them. You know, so while Pope Francis might find the idea of a woman priest, you know, oh, beyond the pale, I couldn't possibly imagine it. Guess yeah. what? Everybody else, everybody else who's sort of um, been hooked by uh, accompaniment and all these sort of things, we know sure. that you can just keep making the same. There's no stop. Um there's no uh, uh, philosophical stop against that kind of ongoing confusion. It only, you know, that train moves in one direction, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, and the, and the proof of that, you're absolutely right, Caleb, and there's proof of that. In the German synodal way, uh, the supermajority or whatever it was that they were supposed to reach of bishops voting for, on the document on sexuality was not reached. There were enough dissenting voice, voices that it did not pass. Uh-huh. But that didn't stop the majority who did vote for it for saying, well, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. oh, to heck with the rules. We're going to go right. back to our own diocese and we're going. To, so why do you need a synodal way in the first place? If you're just going to exert your authority as an individual bishop in your individual diocese and say, well, I don't care what all of you other people said. I'm still going to bless gay unions in my diocese, and I'm still going to allow the divorce and remarriage to, 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 to come to communion in my diocese. Of course. Um, I'm still going to allow married couples to contracept in my diocese. Of course, of course. Why did you need a synodal path to begin with and so i think you, you what it is is cover. it's cover. cover yeah okay good go ahead so 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 you haven't been uh retired from uh, uh an academic institution for so long my friend to know that when you got a survey it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't so that they could they could figure out what i think so that it can be implemented yeah. oh no no. It's it because the, the 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 cake is baked. Might have been preached. Right. It might as well have been pre-checked for your convenience. You know, the, correct. All the here, all the boxes here, checked. Right. Here is your survey, and and we've we've gone through the trouble of checking it all off for you, good sir. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. We know this is how you would vote. So here you go. In right. you know, it's like you know, it's like unions and voting cards and all that sort of stuff, right? So so uh, it's all a front. It's a cover. Uh, and consensus. So comic- it's a, right. Yeah, what, is, I, what is the thing they always talk about? Like, you know, this because you were in the business a long time. What is it? The census fide or something like this? The census fidelum. Yeah. The census yeah so fidei. what is that? Tell our There's audience the, what. Uh, well, what, what it is. means is that is that the belief is that the Holy Spirit isn't just in the hierarchy of the church. The Holy Spirit is in the laity, too. And the laity, therefore, insofar as they are baptized and have all the sacraments and are faithful participants in the life of faith, have an insight. Uh, a sort of instinctive insight via the Holy Spirit into the things of the things of God, the things of revelation, the things of the faith. But this always has to be weighed in the Catholic vision. The insights of lay people need to be listened to, 
But then that has to be sifted by the magisterium. That's why we have a magisterium. It also has to stand the test of time because the census fide isn't simply, uh, you know, the vox populi. It's not simply the voice of the people voting democratically, which is what but the that, synodal way seems to be doing. Right. I think that's exactly how it's, it's implemented. St. Paul said, discern the spirits. So not every opinion that pops into some layperson's head is from the Holy Spirit. It might be from the spirit of the zeitgeist as well, which is or, why the or, or or if I could just jump in here or like a bad spirit, you know, like or like, even a like bad a dark spirit. spirit, like, you know, we still believe we still have faith in a church that teaches us that there are principalities and powers, my friend, who, right. you know, want bad things, we might say. Bad and exactly. Things. And the census, the sense of the faithful doesn't just simply include the modern faithful who are alive now. It includes right. all the faithful who have ever right. lived. And now we have 2000 years of, of the of magisterial teaching and the doctors of the church and the saints and the mystics and the writings of all those people. And you have to weigh every single opinion of every modern Catholic against the weight of that tradition as well. All right. So it simply can't be the case that suddenly God is doing a new thing. All right. And so a bunch of a bunch of Catholics get together in a church basement in Newark with Father Skippy Toes and they all vote. They all vote for married priests and women priests and gay marriage. Well, and all of a sudden now Massimo Fagioli is out there saying, there's the voice of the Holy Spirit. What utter nonsense. It no, it's utter Holy nonsense. Spirit. It's utter nonsense. And, it's, and, it, and it, is an, it is an outright refusal to recognize the reality of the communion of saints. I'm really glad you invoked this because one of the things I, as a 19-year-old American Roman Catholic, when I went to Rome for the first time, what I what I experienced uh, sort of precognitively, right? I mean, I, I get there and I go to St. Peter's like within, within hours of my arrival. That was sort of part of the plan. And I go in there and I'm walking through these streets and I go into this church and the sense of time smacked me in the face. Yeah. Right. That like when I when I when I walked when I flew into Rome in, you know, January of 1993, I had a, a sense of time. And like I thought that 1950 was old right? <laughs> you, you, yeah. as an American, especially you fly into Rome and you walk on through those streets and the side streets to get to get to uh, St. Peter's and and not yeah. just St. Peter's, any of those amazing churches. All, all, well, it's just crazy. You see a Caravaggio you, like, hanging in McDonald's. Right. Right. And you so right, so, yeah, almost literally you so you're like, oh. Like for me, it was like, oh. So like what I think is important, right? You know, the 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 sort of the exigencies of the exigencies of the here and the now, my goodness, they are so shallow and and frivolous if I if I judge them against time as we understand it and of course larry we believe that you know that 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 the soul is immortal and so that the communion of saints you that's know, right saint lives thomas, on so, right so saint thomas more for instance one of my heroes saint thomas more is not like a, a a guy in a book or a guy that wrote books but he's a guy who died for his faith and is now in glory with christ jesus in the heavenly host like right now like you know as we as as we as we shoot this show, right? So yeah, when, yeah. I remember when 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 Amoris was out there and all the synod on the family came out, whatever, and I think it was twenty fourteen or whatever it was. You know, I remember just thinking, so what? What now? Are we just going to kind of say without really saying it that you know, Thomas More, you really didn't have to die for this. 
That's right. And then I knew, and I knew that right away that that people were not being serious about time. They were not being serious about eternity, and they were not being serious about the communion of saints. Right? It's not just about that kind of lateral, like I am brothers with the with the person sitting in the pew on the left and the person sitting on the pew on the right. You know, it's like it's here and it, and it refracts outward and into the future. And so that I have a responsibility to past and to future. That that it seems to me these synod on synodality folks just completely ignore which leads me to think Larry, sorry for the rant here but it leads no, me to go think, it leads me to think that they actually don't have a supernatural faith oh i've been writing on that since i started my blog the de facto atheism exactly. at the heart of all of this all right and and it is also only in that historical memory as you pointed out with your your first trip to rome that 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 hitting you in the face of the deep historicity of our faith uh that gives you gives you the metal to stand up to the cognitive dissonance you're going to feel between your faith and, and the broader modern culture. It right. takes a certain strength right. to, to, to live in that cognitive dissonance. And the That's fact right. is, a lot of people can't do it because they don't want to live a cruciform existence. Look, right. I, had a, I had a similar experience to you. My first time in Rome was in 2008. Okay. And I was uh, having lunch at one of my favorite piazzas in Rome. It's a touristy place, but I love it. Piazza Which Navona. Ah, that's Piazza. Great. It's so good because that ancient building just sits oh, right there. Yeah. And the and gorgeous like, fountains so perfect. and just the perfect. artists yeah. out in the square and the perfect. people yeah. selling their stupid trinkets. And I love it all. So it's I got amazing. to lunch and I started wandering around Piazza Navona, and I wander into this church. I know it was Church of St. Augustine. I didn't know it. And okay. I know it looked like just typical Baroque era church, like so many of them. Yeah. But I saw that there was somebody's tomb clear in the back. Yeah. I was curious. I'm always curious about these tombs. Yeah. So I walked clear to the back. And lo and behold, it was the tomb of St. Augustine's mother, St. Monica. No. I had no idea that two blocks <laughs> off of Piazza Navona, like what? the body of St. Augustine's mother. And I, I literally, Kale, and I, I, I'm not ashamed to say this. Mm -hmm. I stood there and wept like a child. Yeah. Tears yeah. came streaming down my cheeks. And I literally said out loud to this woman who was standing next to me, staring at me like, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. I said to her in English, I don't know if she understood me. I said, what kind of place is this it's city? This. Rome. Right. Right. What kind of place is this? Right. And she, which, which is, me. yeah, it which, just which is exactly, oh, which is exactly why when I see these people who are in charge of the church, we believe, you know, is, is given to us, you know, by Jesus himself. Right. Yes. That, that to see them operate with the kind of mendacity that they yeah. seem to operate on a day-to-day -day basis it, it makes me mad, man. It makes me mad. You know man. what makes me mad about it too, Kale, is that it shows an extreme uncharity. It mm. shows an extreme, almost hatefulness towards people like you and me, towards mm. the millions and millions and millions of Catholics out there who have been faithful servants of this church, dutiful, devoted Catholics, who are now suddenly being told, you people are the problem. Right. You are the problem. And the knife is being stuck right into our hearts and twisted with a smile on their faces. And I find that to be the most damning thing of all, that they know what they're doing and they enjoy it. And they don't give a hoot about right. the feelings of people like you and me. Right. It's almost, you know, like the pain is the point. It's like the, yeah. the, the, yeah. the sort of the like 
it's almost like it's on purpose, Larry. You know, I know it's uncharitable for me to posit that I can't read minds, but boy, it looks like it. And if I sort of run this thought experiment, like if I were in charge of something and I wanted to sort of see it all fall apart, what would I do different? What would I do different? Yeah. This is what you would do. That, right. It's, it's like, it, I would do it. I would, this is what I would do. Yeah. You well, know. I, I, I truly believe, I mean, okay, to be, to put on my theology hat here, right? Yeah. Yeah. This has so much to do with the second Vatican council. Now I'm a huge defender of the second Vatican council. Everybody who reads my blog knows that, mm -hmm. but the fact is, I mean, at, right after the council, as everybody knows, the conciliar message was distorted, destroyed, co-opted by the, the, the extreme liberal progressive wing of the church mm -hmm. and certain various awful things began to happen. Now, their justification for all of it was, well, the Vatican II documents say one thing, but the real point to the council, and this is out there, they say this, this isn't just me surmising this. They say the real point to the council wasn't what it said, but was that it was an event mm -hmm. the the event of the council created a dynamic and a process that transcends the council itself. And now we are here to extend that dynamic and that process. Well, what is that event? What is that dynamic in their mind? What is that process? It is a rupture with the Catholicism that came before. It is, as Hans Kung said, a second reformation. It is an attempt to, comp to use the council and it's dynamic, what they call the spirit of Vatican II, to completely gut the structure, the sacramental and magisterial structure of the Catholic Church and to make the Catholic Church more like Protestants. Okay. Why? That, though, why? 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 Because the, I, I, I think the ultimate goal is, therefore, this sort of deeply universal, inclusive, global religion of humanity. Uh, so you notice that all of these same people are big opponents of any kind of exclusive Christology, are big proponents of a very, very relativistic Christology where Christ is simply one savior figure among many, uh, and, and that the church needs to recognize that salvation is through all these other religions, that the pluralism of religions, you see this in Panikar and others, uh, yeah. is yeah. willed by God, which is why it was a big deal, a very big deal. When Pope Francis signed off on the Abu Dhabi statement, all right, and ah, said, yes, ah, yes. and originally said, the pluralism of religions is willed by God. Yep. That was a big tell in my mind. Wasn't it? That. Tell? <laughs> that takes you back to the 60s and 70s and all that claptrap about the council as an event, as now it's an opportunity to reinvent the Catholic Church. Enter John Paul and Benedict. They understood what was going on. They put the kibosh in all of that. They stabilized the ship. They said, hey, we were at the council. We know what it said, and it didn't say that. And you're not going to appeal to some vague spirit of the council to simply ensconce your point of view you have to stick with the documents of the council. So we all thought, right, hooray, the battle is won. In comes Pope Francis. And what are we seeing? This is the dynamic at play here. This explains the German Synodal way. It explains so much. Mm -hmm. What is an attempt is to revive that hermeneutic of rupture, the Bologna school. It is an attempt to revive the notion of the council as a reinvention of Catholicism. Now, all of this is simply me ranting and raving and riffing on your comment about what, you know, what's going on here.
How, how, in other words, if I was to invent a way on how to destroy the church, how would I go about it? Well, this is how you would go about it. You'd appeal to the council as an event and as a rupture and as a unique. That's why all this crap talking about, oh, the Holy Spirit is doing a new thing and speaking to us again in a different mm -hmm. way. It's mm -hmm. utter nonsense. Well, especially when you're when you're suggesting that the Holy Spirit is speaking against something the Holy Spirit has apparently said differently and 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 uh, exclusively the opposite to what you're now saying the Holy Spirit is now saying, right? I mean, it's, it, yeah, it doesn't right. it doesn't sort of pass the sniff test um, in that regard. No, so I think the tell here um, for those of you trying, you know, maybe like me to to make sense out of all this and. You know, I don't have a, a, a theology degree, but I'm pretty serious about this stuff, and I read pretty deeply on this stuff. Why do the trads, and, you know, and I, I bring up the trads here not to necessarily trash on them because I have lots of trad friends. Um, I do but too. Why, but why Why do they dislike Benedict so much? And it was, it was a very interesting response to his death, wasn't it? Right. Yes. I think that this is so what can you can you help me understand that a little bit better? Why, you know, you're a trained theologian. Uh, why do they dislike uh, Benedict, really? And they're kind of probably I, I, allowed to say it out loud. Yeah. Uh, OK, so I I, I I had a blog post today. It's a rather long one, about 7000 words where Oof. I'm very, very, very critical of the traditionalist and the traditionalist movement on this point. And it's very much in my mind, as I said mm -hmm. at the beginning of the blog, because I was reading in the Tratosphere, you know, the blogosphere, Tratosphere, all mm -hmm. these responses to the death, death of Benedict. Now, they were all very careful and cautious because to say, you know, there were big parts of Benedict that we really loved, you know, all the butt covering statements. And after all, yes, Sumorum Pontificum, and he gave us the Latin mass back, blah, blah, blah. But the reason why ultimately they don't like Benedict is the same reason they didn't. They don't care for John Paul. They don't care for Hans Lewis von Balthasar. They don't care for theologians like De Lubach and Daniel Lu and Guardini. I don't know if those mm -hmm. names mean anything to people, uh, but sure, these were they should. They should. They're great. OK, so the deal is this. Uh, the the traditionalist leading lights like like, you know, people that I like, you know, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, I like him. But the, the leading lights in, in, in this movement lump what it were, the communio theologians, the resource month theologians, mm -hmm. the sort of guys like Guardini and Ratzinger and De Lubach. They lump them in with the Ronners and the Skillebexes and and the Hans Kungs and say, well, they're all modernists. They're all modernists because they departed from the neo-scholasticism that held the church together for all those centuries. So that's what the traditionalists want. They, they blame, in many, many, they deny it, but it's true. They blame the Second Vatican Council for all of the problems we see in the church today. Mm -hmm. And they blame the council on those theologians like De Lubach and Ratzinger. They truly believe that had those theologians not agitated in the way that they did, we would never have gotten the council. So how do they account then? How do they account for the fact that uh, Joseph Ratzinger, uh, a Pareti, isn't that what they call him? A, a father yeah, he was a, a, par a Paritus. Paritus, Paritus, yeah. Um, so he goes to the council and is an enthusiastic participant in the council yes. um, and is an active participant in it. Um, how do they account for the fact that he was not uh, understood that there was sort of a difference between the council and the sort of the said spirit of the council? Like, do they, do, how do they account for his uh, apparent quote unquote change? 
because I don't think he changed. I don't think see, this is a common meme among both trads and progressives. Right. That, this is, this that, is what that, I'm trying that, to get you to good. That go Ratzinger before the council was a big time liberal and he wanted to change everything. And he wrote that famous Genoa speech of Cardinal Frings that really got all the set the tone. We're going to engage the modern world. And he was partly responsible for having the neo-scholastic schemata for all the various constitutions tossed out. And so we're going to start from scratch. And so the liberal Ratzinger is responsible for big chunks of the liberal council. But then after the council, when that same Ratzinger sees all the chaos and turmoil that the council caused, then he goes conservative. Then he he dials it back and says, oh, geez, what had what what have we wrought here? And, and so he starts and this, this is the same message we get from the progressives as well as the trads. Exactly. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's a, you know that there, there's a meme. It's wrong. With, it's wrong. With, with, with the two Spider-Mans and they're sort of pointing at one another. Yeah, like, yeah, I always, yeah. I always think this was sort of the rad trads, not the trads, but the rad trads and, and, and the rad progs, right? It's like they are same. <laughs> Like they're they ultimately know, the same. Exactly. And that's not to say that Ratzinger's thought didn't change and evolve over time. My goodness. I mean, he was like, what, in his late 20s when, when the council hit or whatever, right. you know, 30, 30. Do, I'm 60. Yeah, early 30s when I, I'm 64. <clears throat> and I look back at, you know, what I thought when I was 24 or 34. And even though there is a deep continuity in me between those mm, years. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. There's also change. That's yeah. true of any human being. So, right. you know, that's the that's the true part of that of that meme of that trope. But underlying that meme is the insinuation. He went from being liberal to conservative. And that's nonsense. Go and read his 1958 article, uh, The New Pagans in the Church. That's good right. grief. Good grief. You think he was a liberal? Go read that. He was anything but a liberal. All right. And so it, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, so it's my my. But the trads treat him as a liberal. That's the problem. Right, right. And it, it just it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. I mean, if you're really going to be honest about it, and you look deeply into the thought and the contributions of of Joseph Ratzinger and of ultimately yeah. Benedict the Sixteenth, that analysis is uh, dim at best. It's dim, if not just outright wrong. Okay, so yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it, it it really is. So then. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, well, when you're thinking of it, me. one of the things yeah. too they have against him is once again that they have against all of these resource month thinkers that they scuttled neo-scholasticism. Ratzinger was not a Thomist, and they right. hold that against him. He yes. studied Bonaventure because he Bonaventure had a theology of history. And because Ratzinger developed a theology of history, as did Balthasar. All the resource month guys wanted to deal more effectively with the historical mediation of revelation. They're accused of being Hegelians right, and dialectic yeah, 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 and historic, yeah. which is abject yeah. nonsense. But you, can see the, nonsense. but you can see the easy move that you can do there. Right. And, and, this, and this is so you're now reminding me what I wanted to bring up. And I think it fits okay, here. So, so, so hear this. So so there's a sort of the quick the quick smear is saying, oh, Ratzinger and his ilk are really just sort of magical thinking uh, crypto Hegelians who that's right, don't, don't, who don't believe in essence and only believe in history, something along those lines. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Modernist. Okay. Correct. Right. So. Complexity. It's a bitch. <laughs> That's and right. and we find ourselves 
overwhelmed by the sheer complexity of life, of experience, of, of phenomena, of thought, everything. You know, there simply is too much to know. Uh, and so what we have to do in order to like make our way from the bed to the toilet, to, you know, the sink, <laughs> to the kitchen, to work every day is we have to sort of simplify the world, right? This is something we have to do every day, right? We have to simplify the world. Um, and in so doing, by simplifying your world, you, you, you can kind of function, but you always have to maintain, it seems to me that your artificial kind of overlay of a reality, which is a simplification in order for you to make your way throughout the world, is not the same thing as the totality of reality. So from a theological standpoint, you look at the complexity of the modern world. You look at the complexity of everything that has happened after the council. And the easiest move you can do is something along these lines. You know what? It's all just crap. Let's just scrap it all. That's right. And we just That's right. need to pretend it didn't happen. And That's then right. we can just sort of start fresh. This is utopian thinking. Talk about the, the actual Hegelian. This is utopian yeah, thinking. It's, a, it's also romanticized. Thinking. Exactly. Well, and again, German romanticism, which births English romanticism, is a response to Hegelianism, right? I mean, we, we can sort of trace that yeah. that that intellectual Absolutely. lineage. Absolutely. Very, very. So, 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 um, so, the, the, so it's either you're sort of either a sort of a pessimist utopian, if that makes sense, or you're kind of like an optimistic progressive utopian. But both of them take, uh, I think, the fatal flaw is to mistake the map for the terrain, right? Is to mistake the 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 yeah. the, the, the heuristic yeah, yeah, or the yeah, frame yeah. Uh, for what actually is uh, on the ground. And 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 look, we humans really like these simplifying measures because we can control simplifying measures. But guess what? You can't control, right? I mean, it's the great myth uh, that we can control. Yeah, and, and, and it's, uh, I think you and I have discussed before whether we referred to, the, to these sorts of uh, trad constructions, especially as coping mechanisms. Oh, uh, it's a total cope, right? Absolutely, it, it, absolutely. It's a cope, and, and, and you know, in their defense, we all have them. We oh, all yeah. develop coping mechanisms yeah. like this. Yeah. The difference, yeah. though, is, is, bet is between people who understand that their coping mechanism is a coping mechanism and that, therefore, you have to be willing to transcend it, be plastic and elastic absolutely. and deal with reality. It comes at you and being, modify being, your being nimble, being, right? Being nimble, right? It's, that's it's like, a that's a great word. Being nimble right. and, and, and to distinguish from those kinds and other people whose coping mechanism now becomes a whole mythos that dominates their mind and allows them to now to completely revise and romanticize the past and completely. So, for example, the preconciliar church was not this golden era that the trads think that it was. Absolutely Why not. was it that that thinkers as disparate as Christopher Dawson, J.R.R. Tolkien? Right. Right, uh, right. George Bernanos, Francois Moriac, Etienne Gilson, Joseph Pieper, Guardini, Daniel Lou, Bouillet, Balthazar, De Lubac, Ratzinger. I mean, the even Maritain to extent are all screaming from the rafters. There Something's is a wrong. fire in the house. Something's, there are termites in the wood. Yeah. Look out. Yeah. And they were ringing the bells. Right. And also, right. you know, we see 
already in the late 50s, vocations were beginning to decline. Yeah. Uh, so this notion that the Second Vatican Council was the cause of this precipitous decline in vocations. My point is that the cause of the collapse of Catholicism after the council is, is the causes are multifocal and have more to do with the decline in our culture overall. Then it has to the count. The council was just a catalytic moment that ignited combustibles that were already there. All religions have declined over the past century in the right. West. All right, of them. Right, right. Modernity right. is a corrosive acid on things right. spiritual. And we already saw and this was Ratzinger's point in his 1958 article. We're infected with this corrosion and we already saw vocations beginning to taper off. And my th my point is, had there been no council, we would have seen the collapse anyway. Something else would have triggered the collapse. Yeah, I, I think that's a great counterfactual thought experiment to run. And 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 boy, we might get heat for this one. But you know, you're you're one is tempted to ask the question: What would have happened if there had been no second council? Right? What if what yeah. what would have happened if, say, the sexual revolution, you know, did its thing and met? uh the the pre-conciliar church like really really like i and, I and i genuinely don't think that it's a it's clear but it it could have been worse actually it could have been worse which is a shocking thing to this say. this is my lot, point it? it could have been even worse right now can you now, imagine a church that still had the index of forbidden books in oh, the I era know, I know. of the internet I, I mean come on right and here's the thing so this is so i i've, I've learned this in my many conversations with with my catholic friends who are all over the map right their version of the pre-conciliar church is there are certain different versions of it right and so there's the um there's the sort of the the intellectual version of it uh, or the lack thereof you know the sort of the the the, the manualist sort of version of thing yeah. but there's also sort of the on the parish level and there's the you know there's the sort of the lived experience of your day-to-day -day catholic there's a bunch of different sort of pre-conciliar churches right and i think it even perhaps a, a more nuanced um, counterfactual to entertain if you'll follow me here is what if the second vatican council had happened but the mass of Paul VI didn't. Great to me, point. To me, that is the question because I wonder, you know, when I look, at, you look, you and I are both like intellectually minded people. I like reading books. I like being able to, you know, read a book that's not on, you know, the the, the naughty list. Like, you know, I'm an adult and I can handle these sorts of things, right? Yeah, I yeah. want to be part of a church that allows me to do that. Uh, and I don't have to be embarrassed about, you know, uh, you know, uh, these these absurdities that that you hear these stories, right? And then that was like a real thing. Yeah, yeah. But what if, because I contend, like when I when I talk to my non-intellectual, you know, uh, Catholic friends and people that I grew up with, you know, the number one thing they always go back to, there are two things. There's the there's there's the mass. So if the mass can change, what else is up for grabs? Now you and I can make a very lengthy yeah. and 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 considered and calm response to that and why the things are not the same and da 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 da. da. We can play that game, right? But what they really, you know, but then they then then they'll say. Well, you know, Kale, um, when, um, you know, you're, you know, when I was in, in, you know, sixth grade um, and I ate a hamburger on Friday, I was told I was going to hell. I had committed a mortal sin and I would, and if yeah. I had died in this moment, if I die in this moment, Larry chap, I'm going to hell. I'm yeah. sorry. 
That's dumb. It's dumb. It is dumb. It's stupid. And 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 look, I get in. Look, let me let me just sort of add this added layer to it. Like I think when the church moves away from those kind of mandates and practices and high bar, you know, uh, 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 you know, that requires more of you than just sort of you know shuffling in for forty five minutes a, a week. Like I think those are good things. But are you? I remember a priest telling me this one time, and I'll never forget it. At Father Abbot Matthew, he said, "Kale, he said I totally hear what you're saying. You know, it was a good thing that we had the you know the abstinence of meat on Fridays. It's a good practice of sacrifice, etc. But Kale." Are you prepared, as I would have had to, are you prepared to tell that young boy that he's going to hell? That's the thing. It's the linkage of all that with mortal sin. Exactly. And I realized, oh, yeah, that's 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 tougher, you know, right, because it it, it doesn't it doesn't hold up. So so anyway, my my point here is is that if what if the intellectual uh, 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 project of the Second Vatican Council had kind of opened things up in such a way, yet we still had a church that was serious about its liturgy and serious about, um, you know, its business? I wonder, I, I really wonder. What, oh, yeah, what yeah. I think the council had all these things in mind, like, you know, like uh, when I was a little even when I was a little kid, I think I was like eight years old. Yeah. So it had been like 1960 six or something like that. Okay, So right smack I, in the middle of everything. Yeah, okay, I remember I, I I found this little cedar box on my parents dresser. It had a little prayer Catholic prayer book inside. I like the smell of the cedar. And yeah, of course, it had gold leaf edging on the book. I thought it was pretty cool. I opened it up. It was a prayer book. Yeah. <clears throat> my apologies to my listeners for my cough. But in the prayer, I read this prayer. And at the bottom of the prayer, it said, I yeah. because you've said this prayer, you now get 10 days off of purgatory. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, and I, I remember thinking, I, I knew you were going to say this. Old, uh, I remember thinking as an eight-year-old, how in the hell do they know how many days off? There's days in purgatory, right, and I get right. eight of them off now, or ten days, or whatever it was. And that's the kind of lunacy. The, right. I, the, yeah, but, these are but, these are these are spreadsheet fantasies, and oh, and they're yeah. and they're sick and twisted fantasies. Let me tell you, my friend. Yeah, sick yeah. and twisted. And so you know what that that those are the kinds of things that where we say even if there had never been a council. You know, this thing of forbidden books and 10 right. days off of purgatory right. and you're going to go to hell if you eat meat on a Friday or you skip a holy day of obligation accidentally and, and right. or not right. even accidentally, even though that's not a holy day in Canada, it's just in the United right. States. Right. So I'm going to go to hell, I, but the Canadian trip, isn't. If, if I, yeah, I should dr- cross the border into Canada and I can miss right. this day. Right, right, OK, right, right. even though, well, maybe now I can get scrupulous and say, does my motive of driving across the border to evade a holy day constitute a more anyway edifice was going to collapse it and, was and, but and, had and, the mass and, not been changed oh really good point my friend had right. the mass not been changed because maybe we do things need would have been different well i've always noticed this little game that people play and again the, the people on the progressive left play it and people on the trad right play this and most of the sort of the people in between don't know what the heck you're talking about so but uh, that they will, they will, it's like, it's all the same thing. You know, it's like, it's all the same thing for them. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, the, the council and the mass, it's all like one big thing, but it really isn't. And it needn't have been right. And, right, and, and, right. and boy, I, I think uh, that things could be different, which is why I was hopeful about, um, you know, the, the, 
the the return of of, of a, a, a turn back to to a sort of serious reverent mass and who knows what'll happen now um but we know larry we know that our jesuit friends uh would never have allowed such a thing to happen if they had anything to say about it and you know what struck me the other day larry and i can't believe like i, I you know i can't believe that it's only struck me now it's like we live in a church that is now run by the jesuits oh yes no no if you and i if you and i had had a conversation let's say 2010 and you and i were you know would have been very similar you know to how we are now and we would be joking <clears throat> maybe we were having a glass of whiskey and we're sort of joking about schools and the jesuit tradition and uh-huh. and, and, and and a little you know a little angel sort of pops up and says hey kale larry guess what in 2020 you know uh 2022 um you're going to have a jesuit pope and every major uh we don't call them comp- uh, congregations anymore we call them dicasteries and you would have been like wait what uh, anyway every major dicastery is essentially run by a jesuit what would your reaction been in 2010 my, my reaction, reaction be, uh hide your silverware yeah, no, no. My reaction was like, I need to put this whiskey away because clearly I'm drunk. This this can never happen. This can never <laughs> oh, happen. Oh, and I see what you mean. Drunk. That it's delu- that you we we would have thought what? Yeah, what are you like, drinking? That's crazy well, I, I need to drink. Talk. Yeah, exactly. Crazy talk. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, in retrospect, yeah, and somebody said that to me in 2010. I would say, well, that's very remote possibility. Jesuits are not supposed to take Episcopal orders to begin with. Okay, that's it's specifically precluded in their constitution. But, you know, an exception was made for Bergoglio when he was made Archbishop of Buenos Aires, despite the fact that the head of the Jesuits at the time, Kolbenbach, wrote a letter to John Paul II and said, under no circumstances should you make Jorge Bergoglio a bishop because he's mentally unstable. He's wholly unfit and incompetent to run a diocese as large as Buenos Aires. Now, the trouble is, is that John Paul II was not well disposed towards Kolbenbach, who wasn't exactly on board the JP2 freight train, you know, of Orthodox Catholicism. So I, I don't sure. think John, I think John Paul let Kolbenbach's criticism go in one ear and out the other and probably thought, well, he's probably got some Jesuit axe to grind against Bergoglio. Right, so right, 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 right. I'm not going to listen to this Kolbenbach fool. But uh, again, a- more, more of these what ifs, right? I mean, these are sort of oh, fascinating yeah. what ifs, you know, and, and yeah. you know, what, yeah. what if. I remember reading this the other day, and I don't know your audience may know this one. It's like, what if Benedict had waited six weeks before to, to officially retire? Well, all those guys, Casper, et cetera, who voted for Bergoglio would have been timed out. I mean, talk about a what if, Larry Chap. Yeah, yeah. Six weeks or like two months. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, hind- yeah in hindsight's 2020. I don't think, yeah. I don't think Benedict... Uh, imagined a scenario of the jesuits running the church either no as i told as i told rod on 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 a show we recorded the other day i mean benedict just does not he did not have a heart filled with guile i mean he really did not no, i mean everything he thought he read the best about him, of people exactly exactly he really you know he knew that people were capable of bad things but he himself understood his role as um caretaker for uh, an institution in which he gave his life to, he couldn't imagine why somebody would weaponize uh, that that against somebody, you know. And, and but but here we are, here we are with Jesuits running thing. That brings us. I mean, we're we're uh, 
an hour and 15 minutes into this. That's fine. I can go mm -hmm. forever talking to you. Uh, but same, uh, same. That, that brings us to uh, something I, I wrote in Catholic World Report about the Father Rupnik affair. Ah, uh, yes. Who is Father Rupnik, for the you listeners who don't know, is a Jesuit artist. And his art is everywhere. He specializes in these mosaics with these saintly figures and figures of Mary and Jesus with black eyes. Right. I think Caleb was you who sent me the pictures of the black. I did. Eyes. Yeah. 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 You know, in uh, the what's amazing to me about the Rupnik thing is, you know, that is actually a scandal of the, of the first order, my friend. And it's, it is. Yeah bizarre to me that it took the death of a pope emeritus to take it off of the front pages and i am yeah. really hopeful that the press corps or whomever or whatever uh, does not let the vatican off the hook for this rupnik thing because yeah, i'm afraid it is gross, that it will brother it is gross i'm afraid that it is already yeah. off the radar christopher altieri did a great job a series of four hard-hitting essays in Catholic World Report. I followed up on that with my own take on Father Rupnik. Once again, for the viewers who don't know, Father Rupnik, uh, a, a, a Slovenian priest, started a female religious order, uh, in, I think is in Slovenia, yep. and he then sexually abused through psychological intimidation and, and brainwashing. Spiritual, and spiritual. And, 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 and spiritual. spiritual counseling, sexually abused many of the women in this religious order. He then, after having sex with one of the women, absolved her of the sin of that sex in the confessional, which, of course, incurs an automatic excommunication. Yep. This automatic excommunication was turned into a formal excommunication by by the Jesuits. And that was sort of made public after a while ish. But yeah, public ish. It was sort of internally known. But then Rupnik goes through a period of prayer and penance and says, mea culpa, mea culpa. And the Jesuits say, oh, great. So you're sorry about all that and you're never going to do it again. I promise I'll never do it again. And so they bring him back. All right. You're now rehabilitated. And then there were more investigations being done in him and all this stuff comes out. Everybody knows about it, presumably yeah. even in, 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 in other and words, then he's not, invited. It, go ahead. It, it's not a one-off, <laughs> right? It no, wasn't it wasn't a, a one-off deal. One no, he continued to offend. Mm -hmm. Then he's invited to give a series of Lenten reflections to the papal household. I think it was 2020 or 2022 or something like right. that. Yep. Uh, just insane, insane that everybody in Rome and the Vatican knew what a creep, what a sexual creep this man was. Now, here's my question. Number one, as you said, yeah. how in the heck, how in the, the the question is, is this Jesuit favoritism at play? You mentioned how Jesuits run everything now. Would you and I have gotten away with it? Let's say you and I work for the Vatican. Right. And it turns out Larry Chap has sexually abused through psychological intimidation. All the women that, that he works for. I would not last long in that job. I'd be yeah. I'd be canned and out the door. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? And by the way, we yeah. called the police. Right. Right. But because exactly. this guy's a Jesuit priest. You know, he, he's allowed to. So my point is this. OK, fine. He's sorry about doing the absolution and the confessional thing. And so the, the excommunication is lifted. Fine. Lift it. Cool. Now you get laicized. Now right. you get laicized. Why did he retain the right to be a priest? And, this and is what not, lay people want to know. Yeah, why was right. he still a priest at all? 
exactly. let alone preaching in the papal household. Right. Go ahead. And, and not just a priest, Larry, as, you, as you're pointing out, like a, a priest who, exu- who, who, who enjoys all of the powers and privileges for a special person at the Vatican. He had right. a beautiful I mean, Roman apartment. Of course, right. He no, was it, the toast of the artistic town. And continues to be. I mean, he he's art yes. was featured on the latest, uh, you know, stamp, you know, uh, collection that was sent out by the Vatican, you know, all these sort of things. It's uh, no, it's uh, dude, it stinks, man. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. It really had me fired up uh, over Christmas. And I just, I was, you know, pulling out what's left of my hair over this thing. I was just so thoroughly disgusted. Um and, and and again, uh, you know, and maybe I'm the sop here, probably so, but I that's why I was so energized earlier today when I was saying, like, for the first time in a really long time, I felt uh, good to be a Catholic because someone who's important called out the, the, right. the sort of the 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 insane clown circus for what it is. And boy, I really hope that some some other people, you know, grow out that chest and uh and yeah. and uh you know do what pell did um you know from what i understand pell was prepared to sort of take you know absorb the ire of francis and his team of sycophants um you know uh but he died um you know yeah. uh after surgery but uh, man man a few more of these please i mean just just for those of us who try to well you know, yeah I, I mean and i fault for, you know, I think Cardinal Mueller, for example, is getting more and more emboldened of late. Yeah, me too. Me Seems too. like he's been making more and more strong statements against the synodal way and things like that. But one of the things that Mueller has, I think, assiduously refrained from doing, which Pell did not, was mm-hmm. to criticize Pope Francis directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think actually we need more cardinals to be stepping up to the plate and criticize say it and criticizing the Pope yep. directly. And saying yeah, I, I, you don't, I, you you have don't have my support, Holy right. Father. The role of the cardinal is to advise the Pope to help right. the Pope. That doesn't mean to be a sycophant right. or a butt kissing yes man. We are here to, in a sense, confront you to your face, even w- with respect, with deep respect, but to confront you when we think you are screwing up. And I can't help big time ways. And I can't help but think of the way, you know, that 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 Paul talked about his confrontations with Cephas. Right. Yeah. I mean, like the, yeah. there's a there's yeah. a, a an important part of our tradition is that you have to be able to call out, uh, you know, call a ball a ball when it's a ball, <laughs> call That's a strike right. a strike when it's a strike. And and it's yeah. and, it, and, and the kind of the niceties of, you know, uh, Romanitas or Politessa or all the sort of the, you know, the sort of the rules of how you're supposed yeah. to conduct yourself. It's like it's enough. It's enough. It's such a mess. You know, morale is so low. And uh, I can't imagine, for instance, to some of my friends who are who are priests, like I can't imagine the kind of morale they must be suffering under right now because oh, yeah. of yeah. of of this. So you and I are, you know, we're nothing. Like whatever, right? You know, yeah. you, whatever. Larry. Oh yeah, I, I suffer no consequences whatsoever yeah. from being the curmudgeon right. sort of flamethrower right. that I right. can be at times, you know. But but we know that you know priests and religious they don't have those kind of rights as I guess we could call it and and so they must be suffering quite a bit so I just want to encourage look I, I'm encouraging myself here you know to pray for to pray for these 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 people um, you know because they are in fact suffering and support when you can support oh yeah good faithful priests right now are the heroes of our time yeah they are yeah. the heroes of our time because there is nothing 
more thankless right now than being than being a priest right uh in terms of the kind of support and so forth yeah. that you get and and so god bless these these especially these younger these younger yeah. priests who who are entering into the priesthood with eyes wide open you I know think so. about, i think about, so but now sadly i think a lot of the young young seminarians and priests coming into the priesthood from what i'm told from seminary formators are are increasingly influenced by radical traditionalism and i but you well, can understand it, it, almost why all right exactly. psychologically I would, had yeah, I, 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 I when i was a seminarian in my early 20s i was a fire breather. you didn't yeah. call it this then i read right. the wanderer and things like that yeah, yeah, i yeah. was a trad you know so right. i understand the psychology of it when you're young well, I do too. And, You're committing and you your know, life to something bigger than yourself, right? And you, you know, want it to mean something. And the current magisterium doesn't seem to give a damn about any of that. All right, so let's go back and look at the older right, stuff. Right. You get that? I do, and I and I think, and it's just, so to me, I do in fact understand that, and I'm and I'm very sympathetic. This is why I think it's important for you know people like you. You have such a good voice, a clear voice, a deep voice that you can speak to uh, the truth. You know, even when those who are in charge of protecting the truth don't seem to be all that interested in doing so right so i do think uh you know that uh as as one of my wise friends you know said like you know uh you know we'll have a we'll have a pope after francis right and yeah. um but in the meantime uh you know in the meantime yeah. um we still have a responsibility to say the truth and see the truth and to preach the truth as we see it uh and and that's why i think you know, I, I'm I'm just so heartened, frankly. I I'm so sad that he's dead, of course, Cardinal Pell. But I'm just so thankful that somebody finally said it and put their name on the damn thing. I'm also, and I agree. Oh man, do I ever agree? Yeah. I was so exhilarated by that. But I also think, um, you know, David C. Schindler, the the, the son yeah. of the, yeah. the late great David L. Schindler. By the way, you know, for me also personally, just, since, also just passed away. A just passed away. So for me, it's the trifecta now. Yeah, my, yeah. One of my greatest heroes of all time, David L. Schindler, who, you know, ran Comunio and stuff. JP Tuesday Walsh passes away, you know, a month ago, then Benedict, yeah. now Pell. OK, right. but anyway, David C. Schindler, son, in, in one of these uh, podcasts I was doing with him and a few others said, yeah, we live in tough times. He goes, but quite frankly, we also live in exciting times. He goes, it's, it's not often that you get a front row seat to watch the collapse of an entire culture. And by that, he didn't just mean the church's culture. He meant correct broader Western culture. Correct. It's, correct. it's collapsing. It's clearly collapsing yeah. the culture all around us. Uh, we're like the, the cliche frog in the boiling water. We don't sense it. But, you know, if you'd have told my dad in 1965 that by 2023, uh, you know, Boy Scouts would be considered homophobic right. Hitler youth, but right. transgender drag queens would be teaching your kids in your second grade classroom. Yeah. He'd have thought you were nuts. All right. And, and, and you would have been nuts back then to say totally. something like that. Uh, but but the fact is, we live in exciting times as we watch our society collapse around us. It's not it's not exciting as we're happy about that, but it's exciting because it opens up broad new vistas, broad new possibilities for the church. But this is precisely what's so aggravating about the Francis papacy and the church. The moment is ours. The yeah, moment yeah. is now. But we must steal ourselves and have the nerve to stand up to this cultural collapse. And yet it seems as if right now, when we are on the verge of victory, so to speak, we want to throw yeah. in the towel and, and actually take up with these people to accommodate That's right. ourselves. That's to them. right. That's, That's right. what's maddening. 
Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. And it's just like, it's like, that's why I, I care about all this stuff so much. You know, I care about the culture because I care about the church and I care about the church because I care about the culture because, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you know, and this is one of the things my friend Rod always talks about is, look, I'm not a Catholic, but I understand the importance of having a bulwark institution that not only informs, but protects uh, sanity, <laughs> right? Uh, cultural sanity. And that and that we are in this position where we're throwing our sanity away uh, in the name yeah. of whatever is, is, a, is, is, is a, a real problem, which is why the, you know, maybe team francis is sort of sort of running this sort of accelerationist uh, uh gambit I, I don't know what they they think they're doing but what it looks like is that you know you're you're coming up on the wall and instead of hitting a break and and you know pulling it left or right that's or whatever, right you know you're, you're accelerating just, gas it let's go gas this the son of a gun you know let, 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 let's test this let's see what that bad boy can do can do right <laughs> yeah. and it's like yeah. maybe not in and, yeah. and i think i think what 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 is vexing for me of course is that i i work with young people i have young people i have my own children and and to think that we are going to have to confront the 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 the, the catastrophe right the cultural catastrophe the cataclysm <laughs> and, and i and i'm i mean it um, without a functioning and healthy and life-giving church deadens me inside. The thought of that deadens me inside Yeah, um, because yeah, we need yeah. it. Like we need Jesus right now. Like no joke, we need we a church We, right we need now. this church now more than ever to be the damn church. Right. All right. And, and yet it seems intent on scuttling you know, the Christological center of the church and replacing right. it with simply the spirit of the times, right. which makes absolutely no this sense. Is, is. And it shows, <coughs> excuse me, you know, Vatican II said, read the signs of the times. It didn't say accommodate yourself to the signs <laughs> of the right. times. That's right. You know, it said, read yeah. the signs of the times so you could best know how to respond, you know, to those times. And, and, and those times are now. And we, and, you know, and, well, of course, the times are now. But the point is, you know, the crisis is now. Yeah. And now is our time. It's it's exciting. We have a mm -hmm. we have a, an unbelievable opportunity. And yet we're well, squandering that opportunity. Squandering. Yeah. I mean, my my, you know, I, I take some degree of solace in knowing that we have we have great you know material. There's a great deposit. And yeah. and you know, I and and you and I believe it. It's it's compelling. Um and we and we can make it so. Um but it ain't automatic and you know no, the, 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 yeah. the challenges are definitely novel the challenges are definitely novel and so we're going to have to find a way to take this this deposit this resource that we've been gifted right because the tradition has been yeah. given to us it has been guarded and protected and 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 cultivated yeah. for us you know what are we going to do with it well th that's what we have to do that's where the sort of the creativity comes in and the faithfulness comes in i think oh i agree completely and and so much is going to hinge on who the next pope is, mm. you know, and, and all that being said, you know, we've been very hard on Pope Francis here. But for, for one thing is this. I don't think Pope Francis is like this massive progressive uh, who mm. simply wants to completely Protestantize the church. And so on. I, I don't I don't think that's him. I mean, if you look at the great laundry list of issues that liberals have wanted for 60 years, he hasn't really given them a whole lot of those, at least not yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I think actually Pope Francis is playing a dangerous end game here and it's going to blow up in his face. Mm -hmm. uh, and the end game is this. Uh, 
I think Pope Francis agrees actually with you and with me that there was a there's a lot about I, I think he still lives in the Catholicism in his mind yeah. of the 1950s. You and know, you can see this, it in his language. You can oh, yeah, see where it in his is language, this rigid, really pharisaical, right. legalistic, moralizing, finger-wagging church of right. rules and regulations and thou shalt not. Where is that church, Holy Father? I don't see it. Yeah. Where do you they're see like, it? There are like 73 of them. I mean, you know, they're like <laughs> but that's 73 the mental, of those holdouts. That's the mental furniture in his mind. Okay, yeah, that's the Catholic. Yeah. And so that's what he equates conservative Catholicism, but he equates it with that 10 days off of purgatory prayer. Yeah. The, yeah. the mortal yeah, yeah. sin for eating yeah. meat on a Friday. That's what he is still fighting against. And therefore, he thinks that conservatives in the church today are, are that. And that's why he opposes them. And even though he doesn't completely endorse the entire agenda of the progressives, I think he favors them in the sense that I think he prefers their pastoral style. And I think he prefers their fundamental insight that so much of that kind of Catholicism is a dead end. You know, the, the old fashioned stodgy Catholicism yeah, is a yeah, dead yeah. end. Yeah. So he puts these guys in positions of authority and then says to himself, but I can control their excesses as Pope. I can yeah. smack down their, their stupidities as Pope, even though as I use their more progressive views to sort of change the church. Now, as you said earlier, that's a dangerous game because you can't control it. That's right. You that's think right. you can control it, but you can't control it. And then that's my armchair take, I think, on what Pope Francis is up to. Yeah, and that, that jives that jives with me. I mean, I think that's basically right. Although I thought I probably read a little bit more mendacity into him than you do, but that's fine. I'm 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 fine with it. Well, it's possible. It's entirely possible. I'm just trying to put too much of a spin on it, but it leads to my next point, which is whoever the next pope is has to, as, as George Weigel said to me, you know, what we really need more than anything is the return of stability to the church. And George Pell said the same thing. He said mm -hmm. the next pope has to somebody who restores moral clarity, doctrinal clarity, stability. OK, that's great. I agree with that. But we also cannot simply have uh, though a pope who believes what we need to return to is kind of like stodgy status quo neocon Catholicism. What do you mean by that? What I mean is kind of bourgeois Catholicism. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Catholicism of suburban bourgeois existence. Uh, middle, cla as, middle class accommodationist. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. The, the Catholicism that we had in the 80s, you know, okay, in the okay, 90s. Okay. Okay, we can't okay. simply go back to that because right. that was already a failing, a failing proposition, a failing. I think it's better than what we have now. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, say yeah. that, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. if we got a pope that wanted to bring us back to sort of that kind of I say, OK, thank God, a little peace and quiet. But I don't think ultimately it's it's a winning strategy, pastorally speaking, either, mm -hmm. um, because it is a form of Catholicism that is a bit moribund, if you ask me. In this, in this sense, it's not prophetic. And I go back to the crisis of the moment culturally that we're in now. And the moment that the church is in now is what Balthazar called an Ernstfall moment, a German word, a crisis moment, a decisional moment. So we need a, so this is the Catholic worker coming out, the Dorothy Day coming out. Yeah, yeah. We need a decisional church, an intentional church, a prophetic church. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. Uh, and so we, I think we need a Pope who's also not only orthodox and restores clarity and stability, who is powerfully evangelical in his, and prophetic in his critique of modernity and so on. 
uh, a kind of combining the best elements, say, of the past three popes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's my, take. you know, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I've been thinking a little bit about the next Pope and whoever it'll be, of course, is a mystery to you and I, um, whatever it is, what it is. Right. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily catastrophizing about the, the next person because, you know, like, oh, well, like Francis has sort of loaded the deck and da da da. I maybe, I don't no. know. I mean, I mean, you could have made the same argument. Why didn't JP2 and B16 load the deck? I mean, like, I just, I think people are their own people at a certain point and they're going to vote for, you know, whatever it is they think. I, I mean, hopefully we don't have any of the kind of rank politicking that, that put Francis in, in, um, uh, with the last conclave. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, um, but I do think, boy, I, I think it's time, you know, I don't want to be, yeah. I don't want to be, um, mean no, about I, it, but I, I do think it's time. I, I agree with you. I, I think the next Pope is going to be, uh, a stability Pope. I think he's, he was going to surprise us. He won't be Francis part two. At least I don't think so. Uh, on the other hand, it could very well be. I mean, I, I, I my friend George Weigel thinks that it's going to, that the, the there's, the, there's no vote. The, the votes are not there for a Francis part two. We're going to get a, a return to stability and order. But then I know other people and I, I don't want to say who, yeah. uh, but an, a known Catholic sort of thinker, pundit reporter who says that, no, that's wrong. We're actually probably going to get a worse pope, that things are actually worse than than we think they are. Uh, yeah. and better the devil, you know, than the one you don't with regard to Pope Francis. So somewhere maybe in between those two extremes, we're, we're on the precipice of an even worse situation or, oh, no, it's all going to get fixed with the next pope. Who knows? I mean, the, the, yeah. the Holy Spirit's a funny bird, man. Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, and and, and there's, what the, the bottom line is this. There is definitely I, I this. I take this to prayer all the time. And maybe the viewers and listeners feel the same. I, I feel there's obviously a great purification and purgation going on in the church right now. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you ask yourself, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think in many ways what it's doing is saying that the last remnants of Constantinian concordats, yeah. the last yeah. remnants yeah. of cultural yeah. Catholicism yeah. Um, are going to go away, are going to be burned away. And the only Catholics that are going to be left are the ones who get it. Yeah. So it's going to be kind of a return to the church of, you know, a few, but, it, you know, but actually want to be there and understand things. And that was Rotzinger's prediction, you know, in 19, yeah. 50 years ago, roughly speaking. Right. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Yeah. It's amazing. And I, I, I no, he wasn't saying that's what he wanted. Right. People no, often mistake yeah. that he was. They say, oh, he was such a purist and a rigorist. He wanted a smaller, holier. No, he was saying not that this is what I want. This is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the handwriting is on the wall. Read the tea leaves of the culture you live in. It is not lined up to produce, you know, Catholic saints left and right all over the wallpaper. OK, you're you're going to get a smaller, 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 less influential church. And the, the silver lining is that it's going to be a holier church, period. Right, because because we've been too fat and rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, blunt. we've we we've been way too fat and way too rich to concern ourselves with things like being holy. So, uh, you know, again, I it's a tough thing to say it out loud, but I, I do think that there's a truth there. So, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we've said enough for one session. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. It's uh, you know, five fifteen my time and my yeah. my belly is saying I need to eat. One thing I've noticed, I'm on I'm on prednisone. I'm on steroids for this stupid uncle thing. Ugh. I, 
and it's making me ravenously hungry, which yeah. I'm probably going to look, I'm going to balloon up like the Michelin man between the That's steroids right. and all the food I'm eating. So in the next video, I'm, I'm doing a Saturday video with Connor Dugan. Oh, great. Uh, you know, oh, great. Yeah. yeah see you know, Facebook. Connor, right? Yeah. So I love that. Shout That's out great. to you. Shout out to the lawyer, Connor Dugan out in Michigan. Uh, and okay. so I'm, lo I'm looking forward to that. And uh, so uh, thanks a lot, Kale. Any last words of wisdom before we part ways here? No, this has been great. As always, Larry, I love, I love, I love our our, our chats here. It always helps me clarify. Um, hopefully, the audience sort of is is assisted in our attempts to clarify what we really think. And I just love the fact that you give me the yeah. freedom to say what I need to say. So I appreciate it. And maybe, that. and someday I can exploit my connection with you and get Rod Dreyer on here. All the three of us. Yeah, uh, oh, that'd be fun. That'd be I, fun. I'd love to have a three way with a three way conversation right. with you, you and 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 Rod. Uh, I, th I think that'd be a lot of fun. And yeah. I know Rod has a lot of critics out there, uh, but I, I love the guy. I, I love yeah. Rod. And uh, me too. Me too. none of us is perfect. And I'm yeah. certainly not. Uh, but uh, Rod has done a great service, I think, for the church. Wouldn't mind having money. Anyway, hey, thanks a lot. And thanks for, everybody for listening. I'm going to uh, stop recording now. And this will be on both uh, my YouTube channel and my podcast. Excellent.